0: Hello from and Beit Shemesh. It's Benjamin Rose and myself, Gedali Guttenteig, in the home Homefront, a series covering Israel's biggest conflict in a generation. Benyamin, I'm glad both of us had a quiet, missile-free night. I was not so fortunate. you know anyone under fire? No one I know directly is
1: under fire, but we keep hearing reports from the north, which is something that's very dear to my heart because I go up north so much. And I'm praying that whatever's going on with Hezbollah is going to be toned down and that we're not going to have a second front open because that would be very dangerous.
0: Okay, so let's get over to today's top three issues. I think we're going to do an aftermath of the post-mortem of the Biden visit, number one. Number two, Israel's kind of uh, discussion strategy starts emerging into the media, which is significant. And number three, we're going to have some opinion over there. We've got British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak's visit and the BBC. And also the wisdom of continuing American aid. So Binyamin, over to you, give us a rundown. What do we know? And what have we learned uh, as the dust settles after the Joe Biden visit? Oh, we know that the Biden visit went well. It was very
1: well received here in Israel, not only by the public, but also by the politicians. I think that Biden once again reiterated his support for Israel as far as the optics are concerned, the tarmac hug of Netanyahu went over well. One thing that is problematic, though, is the idea that the Secretary of State Blinken and Biden are sitting in on our cabinet discussions. I I think, obviously, it's a state of emergency right now, but it harkens back to 25 years ago when Martin Indyk was a special envoy from the U.S. and he was trying to sit in on the deliberations over Hebron and giving back Hebron to the Palestinian Authority, which is indeed what happened. So Israel has to draw a fine line between inviting a friend to a meeting and having them participate and uh, do what we need them to do. But then at some point, I'm sorry to say it so bluntly, we have to be able to show them the door and say, "Robosai, thank you for joining us, but we've got
0: work to do here and decisions to make. But this is interesting, the historic reference from a quarter century ago. So it's not unprecedented this because Israel has been certain from the beginning or for many decades, as it were, a client state of the uh, protectorate of the great, you know, Uncle Sam. And I think that's something that we need to get over
1: because we're able to. My readers know that I've written a lot over the years about the $3 billion uh, a year aid package that America gives to Israel and how basically we can afford that out of our own budget, because that amounts to about 15, 16 billion shekels, which is about uh, two or 3% of our budget. I'm not sure why we have to take it as a handout from America. Now, the $10 billion that we've reportedly requested uh, to finance this war amounts to 40 billion shekels. That's 10% of the national budget, and that's a lot more serious. But a couple of things to keep in mind is that that money is spread out over a period of time. You're talking about uh, procurements of arms and weapon systems. That's not something you have to pay for in advance. That's a payment that's spaced out over time. And I think it's also dangerous for Israel to continue to have almost all of the rags in one basket. Fine. We do buy nuclear submarines from Germany, but that I don't think is going to come to play in this conflict. And when we're buying 82, 83% of our weaponry and weapon systems from America, it's not enough diversification. I think we have to continue to develop more of our own defense industry. And we have to be able to finance this ourselves, too, with the greatest degree possible, so that we have as much freedom of maneuver and decision making so that we can do what we need to do and not be held back by the United States, because eventually our interests will diverge. And the U.S., if they're financing us, they're going to be the ones who will have the opportunity to say that
0: you can't do this or we need you to stop. And that could be dangerous how for us. Think that's, Sergeant Robin, how do you think that's playing out in closed rooms? Because as I said, I was very struck. And I think even a lot of Biden's skeptics moved by his words, if they were genuine, he came across as talking from the heart it does come from a good place to support in Israel. But obviously there's not got this difference. This stuff gets said behind closed doors. How much do you think the U.S. is already leveraging its, its existing payouts and the promise of future money to influence and to withhold, restrain rather Israel's military? How much is that actually affecting events on the ground today?
1: Well, firstly, the whole Biden visit would not have occurred unless Israel agreed to his demand for humanitarian aid to Gaza. Now, You have to have some sort of humanitarian aid, I understand that, but the fact that this is a precondition as opposed to letting this develop during the course of the battle becomes much more problematic. What I do think that Israel was successful in conveying to the Biden administration, to the president and the secretary of state, is that this is going to be a long battle. This is not going to be one of these five to 10 day campaigns that they're used to and that everything's over and it's like nothing happened, or at least we try to pretend nothing happened. So if there's one area in which Israel was successful, is that they explained this to the United States, that be prepared for a long campaign, and uh, we have no intention of stopping until we achieve our goals. And now, uh, Gadali, as you mentioned in your introduction,
0: some of those goals are starting to become clearer. Right. I'd point out that it's actually interesting as a way of understanding the way the relationship between the press and the security establishment here in Israel. It's like any media and establishment relationship media can often be a mouthpiece and, and a way of literally conveying, you know, you so when, when you're reading certain connected journalists, you're hearing you're hearing the thought processes that either they wish to convey or that is just stuff that's circulating. Here in Israel, because it's just one giant steeple, that that effect is is not greater. And so some of the senior military analysts, you you're actually getting a kind of a look inside their minds, but inside the minds of the defense establishment. So here we have uh, some of the stuff that's apparently up this morning in which they're coming up with an outline of what the campaign is going to look like. And I was struck by, you know, comparisons to defensive shield, which in 2002, right under, under Ariel Sharon, the, the, the successful, ultimately successful campaign to pacify the West Bank. The most striking thing about that was that there seemed to be, as you say, a reflection of the fact that Israel has successfully conveyed to America, the idea that this is going to take time. They are going to go through methodically dismantle Hamas infrastructure you know, accompanied by what we're seeing is this extensive prolonged pounding from the air. In previous times, I mean, in previous rounds, many of these, the pounding from the air has been for public consumption. It's been blowing up sheds or disused things. But this seems to be a change in strategy, which is to go through and pound them and literally to destroy the infrastructure, soften the first. So that's what I'm seeing at number one. This is going to take a long time. We're going to go through politically methodically our way through the north of the of Gaza Strip. And we're going to have to go after those tunnels. Benjamin. I, mean, I think you were worried by some of the other stuff messaging coming out of that. Do you want to share that with us? The point that I read that concerns me the
1: most is the post plan to have a one to three kilometer buffer zone between Gaza and the state of Israel. I don't think that's enough. I think they need probably more like at least 10 to 20 kilometers. I'm not sure if we can get away with that because everyone will say, oh, you're annexing Gaza. But one to three kilometers is nothing. It's, it's something that probably Bennett proposed when he was prime minister in order to stop the incendiary balloons. it's not gonna stop anything. And I think we have to be a lot more cautious before starting to put numbers like that on the table. We have to give the IDF maximum flexibility for the military people to decide how much space they need in order to secure
0: the citizens of Israel. I would say, you know, and I think a third item over here, you discussed at the beginning, Joe Biden's made an exit and now in this aerial caravan coming in next in is British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak. I want to say that Rishi at Sunak you know, stood by Israel from day one, yesterday in Prime Minister's questions in Parliament about the messaging and the information which the credulous media or the anti-Israel media swallowed from Hamas about the hospital attack. He said, we have to treat information coming from Hamas like we do that coming out from the Kremlin. You don't take it at face value. You chop it in, you, you divide it by half. You deny its existence. Uh, obviously, it's therefore an indictment to the media which treats the Afghan as of gospel. Um, will the BBC but, um, and
1: The Guardian listen to Rishi Sunak or do they have their own ideas?
0: So they have their own. They definitely have their own ideas. And these are left-leaning or, or very left-leaning institutions. But what I would say, if I was going to say Binyarwin, if I had the chance to meet him, Rishi Sunak, I'm sure, and today is yet young, maybe I still will. I'll, I'll tell you what the three words I'd say to him. I'd say to him the following three words, just three words. Defund the BBC, right? I think that's three words. If, uh, the last is an acronym. And the reasons like this, obviously the media in general has had a dreadful war. They've swallowed Hamas propaganda. They've held Israel to an impossible standard. But this broadcaster is, is different and it stands out because it's one of the world's largest media organizations. I remember a few years ago seeing that, 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 that almost a third of media reports anywhere in the world originated with a BBC which because it's so extensive, it's got Arabic, it's got many, many different services going on besides the English language one. And what stands out is that besides its size, it's government funded. It's taxpayer funded. And this is something that, that the conservative government, headed by Rishi Sunak, which has stood so staunchly by Israel, is in a position to do something about. There's been an extensive debate in the last few years. So ever since the BBC was, was heavily anti-conservative of the Brexit vote, There's been talk in conservative party circles of defunding the BBC. Just it should be privatized and the people's taxpayers' money should not be going towards it. That is something that is, it's now in a position to do. And the reason I would say, if I was to make that case for those to to say, it says the the BBC is no longer reflecting British values. Most British people, they're not anti-Israel and they're horrified at the killing. And they are horrified by the, the fact that the BBC cannot call these people terrorists, right? And therefore I'd say they've drifted too far from the British consensus, it's time to pull that funding. But that's my feeling. I, I don't know if this is going to make any difference, but I think the day is coming when the BBC is gonna to have to wake up or to or to be carved up, as it were. Benjamin, you know, final word to you. Any bright spots? Well, there's
1: also a move put here to uh, take the media credentials away from Al Jazeera. Al Jazeera is definitely a uh, propaganda arm of Qatar. And they incentivize terror in their own way. And I was very heartened. And I guess if we're going to close on a good note, I was heartened to see that even the attorney general who in Israel, who comes under a lot of criticism, including for me and many of my columns, when it came to judicial reform, she's basically approved a proposal that's going to go to the cabinet on Sunday to decertify Al Jazeera here in Israel. And if that happens, I think that'll put Al Jazeera on notice, if nothing else, and certainly tone down uh, the negative coverage that uh, we continually get.
0: Benjamin, thanks. And that's it from Homefront for this week. And we'll hopefully see you after Shabbos. Have a good Shabbos.